This is the Easy Living Yards podcast. I'm Ben Hale, your nature geek host. Let's jump in and learn how to have a healthy, beautiful yard with less work so you can enjoy more time doing what you love. What's up and welcome to episode 23 of the Easy Living Yards podcast. Today we are going to be talking all about low maintenance landscaping plants. Now we've covered this somewhat, you know, here and there in previous episodes and I will definitely be referencing some of the awesome content we've already covered in the previous episodes. But today I really want to cover just people are always asking about what plants do you do for this? What what are the best plants for that? And and it's a lot of times a lot of questions that folks like us have are around plants. You know, it's not about design. We're not all, you know, designers, landscape designers. We're not all thinking about the big picture of our yard or, or you know, how it makes us feel. We just want to have some plants in our space that works, right? And and sometimes that's all we want, and, and it's hard to think about all those other aspects. And I totally get that. Now, now, with all that said, you know, I also totally understand the importance of good design. And we've talked about that in some other episodes as well. But today, I just want to answer, you know, some of the stuff that a lot of you guys are asking about plants. What are the right plants, right? And and so let's get into more about the plants today as opposed to, you know, some of the principles for we've been talking about for low-maintenance landscaping or um, or that sort of thing, right? So we can get all into all that stuff later in other episodes and that sort of thing. And, and for right now, I just want to give you the tools to find the right plants for your yard. So just to clarify, today we're not going to be covering a huge list of plants. You know, these are the best plants for everywhere in the world because, to be honest, there's not not a single best plant uh, that just works everywhere, right? So a low-maintenance landscape for me here in Ohio, where I currently live, is not necessarily best plant for you, even if you also live in Ohio too, which is crazy. But especially if you live, you know, say uh, in Texas or in California or uh, Quebec, right? So wherever you are, there are certain plants uh, that, and even in a certain space that you have. So a plant in your front yard might not be the best plant in your backyard, uh, or plant close to the house might not be the best plant for out by your mailbox. So these are all considerations you have to think about with your your specific space in mind. Okay, so that's why today is not going to be a list of plants that are, I, I could give you a list of plants that are my favorites, but to, to be honest, that wouldn't work for most of you. So um, we're going to, instead, I'm going to give you the tools to figure out how, what are the right plants for your yard, okay? And I just want to clarify a little bit more that there is, even even if we drill all the way down to, let's just talk about my backyard, even if we drill down to my backyard, there is no one best plant because there are multiple plants that will work in that condition, but there's not necessarily one best plant because each plant has a, a specific function that it serves, and it also yields a specific thing for for us in different ways too. So structurally, its growth patterns, its color, all that stuff, you know? And so it's based on not only the plant and how it thrives in your space, but also what you want out of the space. And so that's different for every person at different times of the year and different times in our life too. So this could change as well. And so there is no one best plant 
Um, and you know, now just to walk over exactly what I said, the best plant is the one that thrives in the available space that you have that you're talking about. And again, this could be a very specific space such as, uh, what plant works best by my mailbox, right? Um, so is the best plant is the one that thrives in the available space, has the desired growth structure that you're looking for, and also has the right appeal to you and the space that it fits in. So for example, you might really like a certain flower, but it just doesn't really look quite right, you know, as a foundation planting next to your house. It just doesn't match it architecturally. It doesn't, you know, hide the the form that you want or it doesn't accentuate the form that you want. And so for that reason, it's just not the right plant for that space, even though you might love it personally. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit, or I guess kind of step back a little bit and and think about why we're even talking about um, what's the best plant, right? So it's not just what's the best plant for that you like or whatever, you know, that fills a space. Again, our goal here is to have a healthy, beautiful yard with less work so that you can enjoy more time doing what you love. That's the most important part, folks, is we're giving ourselves back our own time because we don't want to be using that time working our yard or trying to figure out better plants or, you know, Googling what's the coolest yard ideas or whatever. We want to just have our beautiful yard so we can enjoy it and we we can move on with our life to do more important things with our life, okay? I love landscapes, but that's what they are is they're landscapes. They're not our life goal. And, And so here we're trying to free ourselves from our landscape by creating our beautiful landscape so that we can do what we love more, okay? And so with all that said, let's kind of get into now um, why low-maintenance landscape plants are important and then also how to pick the best plant for your space, okay? So as, as far as importance, I, I think, it, you know, it, this might go without saying, but I just want to be clear that low-maintenance plants are incredibly important because they allow us to meet our goal of having a beautiful yard with less work so we can enjoy more time doing what we love. So low maintenance plants should bring beauty to your yard, enhance the appeal of your property. And that could also, you know, enhance your property value or perceived value. Um, It should enhance your lifestyle. These plants should enhance your lifestyle through relaxation, through comfort, through pride, through enjoyment, among many other things. But those, you know, are just the ones that come to mind for me right now. They should also reduce your effort to maintain them. By definition, you know, being low-maintenance plants, they shouldn't require a lot of work to maintain. So that's what we're looking for is what's, when we're talking about what is the right plant for your space from a, a growth and thriving standpoint, it's what's the right plant for your space that can maintain itself, can grow, be happy, uh, be resistant to, to disease, by itself without us having to constantly nurture it, okay? These plants that we're talking about here, you know, plants in general just have evolved for millennia to grow and thrive, right? And so we want to make sure we're picking the right plants that can grow and thrive in our conditions that mimic the conditions that they evolved in to grow in and thrive in, okay? These, again, you know, they should require minimal care, 
So it's kind of goes hand in hand with reducing effort to maintain, but also just, you know, we don't have to think about them. We don't have to care for them. We don't have to nurture them uh, once they're established. You know, sometimes these things do take a little bit of time to establish some of these plants. But once they're, you know, they, once they've taken root and they've really gotten hold in your landscape, it should be just kind of, you know, take a glance at them every once, every, take a glance at them every once in a while kind of see if they're doing okay and then just forget about them enjoy them for what they are and and let them do what they're meant to do you know it's kind of like you know when you have a dog right and you you uh you take your dog outside and you see it playing right the dog it just it loves what it's doing because it's doing what it's meant to do well well plants when they're put in the right space with the right conditions they also love to do what they do so they're going to grow in the they're going to thrive in that space, and that's what we want. Okay, so now that we understand why low-maintenance plants are so important, let's figure out how to choose the right plant for your space. So when we're talking about our space, it's really important to understand your space you're talking about before you go ahead and start looking for plants. So even before you pull up you know, a nursery catalog or go start Googling what are the best plants for your yard in, in Ohio or whatever, before you start doing any of that, make sure you understand your space because it's not just the general area you're in, but your specific space has certain requirements that are very important. Now, that said, it's also good to know your regional conditions as well. And that ties into here as well. So it's both important to know your regional climate and conditions as well as your microclimate and micro conditions. So on your specific space in your specific area, so I mentioned two already, two examples. One could be my backyard. The other could be, let's just take, you know, let's take the example of the mailbox, right? You have your mailbox right out front on the street in the corner and you're trying to, you know, kind of spruce it up there and not make it look like it's just a, a stick with a box on the end of it, right? You're trying to, you know, put some plants around it and make it look pretty, maybe make a little garden around it, right? So that's a specific area that could be very different in condition compared to the rest of your area, compared to your backyard, Right. And so it's good to know your specific condition as well as the regional condition. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, so first with understanding your space, you want to know your USDA zone. And if you're not familiar with this already, I've mentioned it in several episodes. Um, The USDA zone is basically a, a climatic zone that is based on your average low temperature in the cooler part of the year. And so as you can imagine... The farther up north you go across the United States, the the cooler it gets, okay? And so the lower your zone number. And and so for southern Ohio here, for example, we're a much lower number than, than southern Florida. And we're a much higher number than um, northern United States and into Canada, okay? And so there are similar climatic um, grades as well for other parts of the world if you're listening to another part of the world, from another part of the world. Okay, and uh, so it's very important to know your USDA zone. Uh, most plants, when they have a, their little nursery tag on them, it, to- it tells you what zone they grow in. And when you're researching stuff online as well, it tells you what zone this plant grows in from, you know, say zones three to nine. So that'll tell you it gro- grows as cold as zone three and as warm as zone nine, okay? And so we're looking for uh, the plants that fit into our zone, Okay. 
All right. So next, you want to understand your soil characteristics. So I recommend you get a soil test if you haven't done so already. You can uh, usually get in touch with your local extension office, your USDA agricultural extension office, and they can run a soil test for you either for free or for very low cost, and it's well worth it. Um, and if you can, uh, it's worth also doing multiple samples across you know, different parts of your property to get an understanding of how your soil might be different. So when it comes to your soil, some of the things that are important to understand are the soil type, the top soil depth, the, the depth of your overall soil. So you have your top soil, which is the high organic matter area. Hopefully, hopefully you have a few inches of that, but the reality is most of us in um, suburbs that are younger than, say, about 30-ish years have very little topsoil because a lot of time what's customary is during the development phase, the topsoil is scraped off and removed for development and it's sold to local landscape suppliers and then the houses are developed. Um, and in the places where that's not done, usually just the process of compaction erodes this, and erosion um, during construction erodes the topsoil away to where you have very little left anyway. So there's usually not a whole lot done to preserve the topsoil during development and it takes a long time for it to grow back, especially under uh, turf grass lawns. So the reality is it's good to know your topsoil depth and uh, how much you have. Um, and that you can do by just kind of digging a, a hole, and you'll see kind of your richer, darker uh, humus area up top, hopefully. Um, hopefully it's a few inches. Um, sometimes it's, you know, very little, So, but it's just a darker color than the rest of your soil. And then underneath that, you'll see kind of it'll graduate into your mineral soil. So for us in southern Ohio, it's uh, a clay-based mineral soil, and it's kind of like a reddish not quite red, but orangish color, of, um, and sometimes a little bit of grayish color uh, based on your substrate material. And, and so you'll start to see your bare mineral soil underneath your topsoil. And so it's good to know your topsoil depth as well as your mineral soil depth, and basically how deep do you go until you hit bedrock. For some places, that's about three inches. Other places, it's several feet. And so it's good to understand that because that also dictates what types of plants can grow in that condition. You also want to know the amount of organic matter you have in your soil. So that kind of uh, goes hand in hand with your topsoil depth. So the organic layer is the area of topsoil. And you also want to know your soil pH. And I go into a lot more depth in all this stuff, stuff in episode 11. So I strongly encourage you, if you're not familiar with understanding what, what parts of soil you need to understand, go check out episode 11 and I'll have a link in the show notes. Okay, beyond soil, without spending too much time, you guys can tell I love soil, right? I, <laughs> every time I mention soil, I end up talking like way longer than I plan on it. So I hope you guys love soil as much as I do and that it's not boring because how can this stuff be boring, right? It's super cool. Anyway, all right, off my nerd podium. Okay, so soil is important. Also important to understand is moisture. Okay, so when I'm talking about moisture, I'm talking about your total annual rainfall. So it's good to know about how much rain do you get each year. Do you get 5 inches? Do you get 50 inches? Do you get 80 inches? There's some places that are uh, get that much. You know, If you're in the, the Appalachian um, mountainous regions of uh, uh, Virginia, I think that's about how much you get. It's, a, it's almost like a temperate rainforest there. Um, here in southern Ohio, uh, we get about 42-ish inches of rain per year. 
And if you live in about, uh, let's see, Las Vegas area, you get about five inches of rain a year. So there's huge differences in that amount of rainfall and what plants can thrive under those conditions. Okay, so understanding your total annual rainfall is important. Also, the pattern of rainfall you get. Do you get all of your rain in one or two rain events a year, or is it spread out with a lot of different shower periods uh, throughout most of the year or maybe during certain wet seasons of the year? Those patterns are very important to understand and can greatly influence what plants can thrive in that condition. Okay, the next piece is we're now getting out of the regional piece of moisture and we're going down to the very local piece when it comes to moisture and that is where does the water go on your property Uh, specifically the space you're considering right now does water pool up on it does it run off of it during rain events or does it kind of sit there for a little bit and then soak in or does it stay there over a couple days this is all very important to understand um, when you're considering different types of plants that grow in that condition some plants love uh, having waterlogged soils and they can thrive in it and it gives them great tolerance for other parts of the year some of them can withstand that most of the year others can tolerate the you know wet soggy times uh, and then that helps them withstand long drought periods after that some of them can't tolerate wet roots at all and so it's really important to understand uh, how does the water interact with the space you're considering okay enough on moisture uh, the next piece is sunlight. So how much sun do you get is, is really often listed on plant uh, tags. And so understanding your space and how much sun it gets, but not only that, what time of day does it get sun? What time of year does it get sun for how long? And what's the, and then also understanding what's the total amount of sunlight. So those are, they kind of sound similar, but here's the difference. So the time of day that it's in sunlight really factors in to not only sunlight but heat as well okay so if your plant is really susceptible to heat stress for example uh, if it gets early early day sunshine it will probably do much better in that location than if it were a late day sunshine uh, space because the hand the plant is not tolerant of heat stress if that makes sense so during your harder periods of the day the plant might kind of shut down its biochemical processes and and just kind of sit there and it even might look a little wilty or droopy because it's overheating basically and so that plant is better suited for a cooler part of your landscape and cooler part of the day to be active And so thinking of a space where it can fit into the early morning period would be better suited for that plant. Okay, so that's enough on your understanding your space. So just to recap real quick, understanding your USDA zone, your soil characteristics, your moisture, and your sun will go a really long way to helping you understand your site conditions. There's, of course, there's... We could uh, talk for hours on site conditions and what are all the parameters that are necessary, you know, from anything from like mineral content, right, to, to, to whatever, and um, to wind shear, right? There's all this stuff that could factor in. But right now I wanted you to just focus on these main areas and, and that will go a long way to helping you selecting the right plants for your space. Okay, so now the plant selection bit, okay? When we're talking about plants, we want to think of several things. Um, before we get into the um, 
matching existing conditions, there's some other bits as well. So your growth habit, your um, whether it's dispersive or aggressive, uh, what are your style preferences, and then as well as matching your existing conditions. So we'll kind of get into all those, uh, but I just wanted to give you a quick overview of what I'm about to talk about. Okay, so growth habit. When it comes to plants, matching your space is very important, but also important is the growth habit of the plant. Okay, so now we're talking about like the physical characteristics of the plant and how it matches with your space. So if we're talking about our little mailbox that we're trying to spruce up, it would kind of be foolish to plant, you know, a uh, a Colorado blue spruce right next to your mailbox because it's going to grow and eventually completely engulf your mailbox, and it doesn't functionally serve this space. So you want to understand. Uh, the growth habit of your plant and how it's going to interact with your space. Okay, so when you're thinking about this, it's important to understand the size of the plant, so the the mature size of it, as well as the growth rate. So how long is it going to take to reach that mature size? Uh, how is how is its propagation pattern? So does is it have a spreading habit? For example, or does it shoot up suckers along it? Um, these these are all important things to understand. And also, what's the lifespan of the plant you're considering? Is it an annual? So have, having an annual in that space, maybe it'll look good for a season, but then you'll have to reconsider uh, planting it again the next year. Or is it a short-lived perennial? And is that okay? So if it's a short-lived perennial, will it divide by itself or reseed by itself every couple years? Or is it something you have to divide every couple years? Um, or is it a long-lived perennial? Is it going to outlive you and, and in the same uh space, you know, is it going to eventually outgrow this space as well? So these are important things to consider. Okay, so aside from growth habit, now let's talk about matching those existing conditions. So we just did our little um, homework on our site, uh, our region as well, as far as climate and conditions, right? So how do we match the plant to that? Well, it's it's pretty simple, actually. You basically start searching for plants that, that grow in your USDA zone, that have the right soil type or are tolerant of the, the soil type that you have. Um, and that's, you know, all those characteristics we listed out. Uh, pH is one, you know, I kind of glossed over, but it's incredibly important. Um, the organic matter that you have in your soil, the moisture level and the sunlight you have, there, those are all very important considerations. So basically looking for the plants that fit the conditions that you have is much easier than trying to alter the existing conditions on your site. Okay, and that is the, if there is like one trick or magical piece of low maintenance landscape design, it is that it's instead of trying to alter your site or your location to fit the plant that you want, it's finding the right plants that fit and grow and thrive in your site, okay? And and that's really the key to low-maintenance landscaping, and that's what we're talking about here. So now that you understand your space, you can go out and find the right plants to fit your space. Okay, so we've talked about matching our existing conditions. We've talked about the growth habits. So the next piece to check, and this is more of a, um, I guess you could call it like an ethical thing or a responsibility thing, is understanding whether the plants you're considering are dispersive or aggressive. And, you know, some people like to use the word invasive. You could use that as well if you like. Um, So these are plants that, even though they may be planted in your specific space, how do they affect the neighborhood around you, the region around you, 
How do they affect the houses down the street? Are you going to have plants popping up around you that while they might look pretty, they might be disrupting things as well? And so these are plants that kind of escape the landscape, the designed space of our homes and they get into the environment and they can really disrupt things. So it's it's worth considering and checking out to make sure that the plants you're planting aren't uh, wreaking havoc on uh, the spaces around you. And it might seem like, you know, okay, well, they're going to look more pretty or whatever. But if they're if there's something that's expanding into uh, a space that is um, potentially sensitive or uh, could be, you know, established with other plants that are in fragile relationships already because we've kind of, you know, taken away a lot of forest and natural spaces across this this continent. Um, maybe, you know, we could actually be introducing stuff that's outcompeting the the plants that really need that space to grow, if that makes any sense. Okay, <laughs> so... What you can do here to understand if your plant is uh, dispersive or aggressive or or so-called invasive is to check local resources for listings of plants that are discouraged. Um, You can check with state agricultural extension offices. And folks, you know, we all have access to Google. If you can be listening to this podcast, I'm sure you can check out Google as well. And Google can be a very helpful resource tool for understanding some of this stuff. Um, so some examples here in my specific area of the Midwest is the calorie pear or the Bradford pear. So these are um, selected pear trees to have small, tiny fruits and uh, beautiful blooms. They get, um, you know, a nice pear-shaped structure to the tree as well. And they've been selected for landscape use. Well, unfortunately, these trees um, have caused massive problems in the edge habitats across our Midwest region, where they take over a space um, along with other invasives, and it's really difficult for a lot of the native uh, plants to establish there. And so, um, so it's actually just recently been banned for sale in Ohio, um, completely in landscape um, nurseries across the state. So that's the extent where it's um, caused problems is now been finally realized um, many years after introduction that that it's actually it's causing such a problem even though it's kind of a pretty tree for um, a few months or a few weeks of the year uh, with its flowers it actually causes a lot of problems the rest of the year by um, out competing a lot of plants that should be in that space uh, similarly, there's another plant in Ohio called Purple Loose Strife. And this plant is, uh, it, it has beautiful flower spikes on it, uh, bright pink flowers, um, looks really great, pretty well. Um, it takes care of itself pretty well, basically, and it also grows in wet conditions very well. Well, it turns out that this plant, while it is really beautiful and pretty easy to maintain once you establish it that it also is uh, really uh, dispersive and expansive in marsh conditions Uh, so anywhere that there's these wet conditions it's really disrupting a lot of natural ecosystems and waterways um, that taking over uh, very sensitive native plants in very sensitive space along um water edges that's you know pretty sensitive habitat so it's actually causing a lot of problems and and just like the the pears, the cultivated pears, um, this purple loose strife has also been banned for sale in Ohio. So it goes to show you that um, 
it's kind of a little bit, you know, late on that front, but uh, that's where it's important, you know, whatever your plants you're considering, check to see if it's considered as a, um, an invasive. And this primarily goes for the exotic plants. So is it an exotic invasive? Sometimes the, the term invasive is a little bit, I, I would say, misused where it just means that a plant grows really well in a space. And that by itself doesn't mean it's an invasive. It just means it's growing where we don't want it. And so it's good to check up on that and just see, uh, uh, kind of do your research and figure out, okay, is this plant going to take over an ecosystem where it shouldn't be in the first place? Okay, so with that, um, the next piece is your style, right? We haven't talked about that, and that's really important for um, making sure that it's a plant you're going to enjoy, that you're going to be happy with. And, you know, if it's not something you enjoy and you're going to be happy with it, that well, I guess that means the contrary, right? You're going to be dissatisfied, and you're not going to like the choice. You might end up having to replace it if it really bothers you. And so we want to make sure that whatever low-maintenance plants you put in your space, they match your style preferences, and they also match the need for the space. So when we're talking about finding our plants, find what you like that fits in the space. It could be native. It could be exotic. But, you know, make sure it fits what your preferences are there. And if you want, I do have a previous episode on natives and exotics as well you can check out. Um, It should have the color that you want. So that could be the foliage, the bloom, um, and also meet the timing that you want. And this, again, goes for both foliage and blooming. So does it, you know, change color in the fall? Um, Does it uh, have a bloom when you want to have blooms? So does it bloom in late summer or does it bloom in early spring? Or do you want a mixed... Uh, plantings of of blooms so you get blooms all through the year of different plants at different heights so so you can get really in depth with this stuff pretty quick but just make sure it matches the preferences of what you want maybe you just want something that kind of fills the space in looks green has a nice structure to it um, has you know maybe some unique leaf patterns and that's all you want and that's fine too so just kind of make sure whatever your preferences are make sure you're clear on them Try and picture them as best you can, which can be difficult, and then go find what fits in that space, okay? All right, now you guys, you know I can't be talking about plants too much without just getting into a few specifics. So even though I said uh, this isn't going to be a big long list episode, I know you guys would love to hear a few examples of a few plants that are awesome, and I can't help myself anyway, so lucky for you, I've got a couple plants here that I'd love to talk about, and um I'd love to have you try them out in your landscape if it fits, right? And if it fits your needs as well and your desires and your preferences. So if it doesn't, don't consider these plants. Um, So the plants I'm talking about here, I've only pulled out three. So of the whole world of plants, these are only three plants and they do not equal the best plants in the world and they do not equal the best plants for your space. These are just three plants that I like. They work in a lot of conditions across the United States. They do not work in all conditions. There, I don't know if there is a plant that works. Maybe the dandelion, right? Maybe we just need to start loving the dandelion. Um, I don't know if there's a plant that works in all conditions, even just in the United States, let alone the rest of the world, right? Um, so with that said, you know, these these work for most of the United States. Make sure you check your specific area and your specific conditions. And the first plant, uh, I like this one because it's so versatile, because it does kind of have a 
you can have it where it kind of has a cultivated look or even a very naturalistic look, depending upon the variety or um, just straight species of plant that you select. And so this plant, and it, it could be anything from a ground cover to a tree as well. So just for the sheer versatility of this plant, I, I really like it. And that's the juniper tree. Okay. So the juniper tree um, also very close relative to cedar. Um, so you, uh, you may be familiar with one or the other, but these, both of these species are, um, so when I'm talking about the juniper tree, I'm talking specifically about, uh, the scientific name Juniperus virginiana and the cedar is Juniperus communis. So they're very closely related. Um, and I'm listing out the scientific names, not to be a nerd, which, Let's face it, guys. I I have a podcast about plants and and landscaping, right? So (laughs) that's a lost cause there. But uh, I'm not doing it to assert my nerdism. It's to be specific and to make sure, because of so many different common names, that we are understanding what the right plant we're talking about is. And I have these spellings in the show notes, so I don't expect you to phonetically understand what I'm saying there and just know what to look up. Um, But I do have it written in the show notes, so you can check out the names of these plants if you're trying to research them. So, okay, with that aside finished, let's talk about the juniper. So the juniper and cedar are native to much of the northern hemisphere. There are tons of cultivated varieties that range from anything from a ground cover to a medium-sized tree. And the ground covers can be a very small ground cover or kind of like a spreading ground cover that goes all the way up to like six feet wide. And... With these, you get some different uh, foliage color from like your dark evergreen color to kind of like a grayish hue as well. So there's some really cool varieties out there. Um, it is primarily an evergreen tree, so that's really cool too. Um, and and why I'm bringing this up now, this tree up or, or shrub or ground cover, whatever you want to call it, um, this um, Swiss army knife of a plant is... Um, that it tolerates a huge wide range of soils and also a very wide range of moisture. So given multiple soil conditions, um, anything from it, this, this tree can grow on like bare rock cliffs. And, and it also of course can grow in like really rich soils at the same time too. So it can kind of establish in, in uh, like kind of scrubland meadow pastures that are really starting to get rich, Anything from, I guess, degraded soils and also very rich soil meadows um, to rocky crags, right? So I I think you get the picture. It's pretty tolerant of a lot of conditions. Now, there is one trade-off with this plant. As with most plants, there's, you know, again, I I wouldn't call it necessarily a trade-off, but uh, from the plant standpoint, but for us it might be. So um, the the juniper does prefer full sun. I have seen these... uh, eastern red cedars growing in partial sun conditions in the woods um, where there's like semi-open glades but the reality is it does not prefer that condition it's a little more sparsely um, uh, I guess the foliage is a bit more sparse um, when it's in that condition it can do it can grow just fine there but it's not going to be the ornamental uh, specimen maybe you might be looking for so just something to consider there okay so the juniper highly recommended from a versatility standpoint and also because it's an evergreen as well it's nice to have some evergreens to consider 
Okay, so next plant. What's next, right? So I wanted to have some examples of a tree slash ground cover slash shrub, I guess. Uh, but primarily, the, I guess when I first thought about it, I was thinking of a larger, uh, longer-lived plant like a tree. Well, I also wanted to give you a herbaceous perennial, so like you're a perennial flower-type plant, as well as a grass. And so the as a perennial flower herbaceous um, example... I have the heart-leaved aster, and I, I selected this one for a specific reason. is because people are always asking, well, what do I grow in shade, right? I, I have a bunch of hostas, right? Hostas are so common for shade conditions, and they look really pretty. They are exotic, so if you, if you prefer to go native with some stuff, what's something that I can plant that's native to the United States, um, or maybe just not an maybe it's just not a hosta, right? Hostas are kind of overused sometimes now. So what's something that can grow in shade? Well, the heart-leaved aster, which I'll, I'll attempt to pronounce this one, uh, scientific name, Symphiotrichum cordifolium. Okay. Um, the heart-leaved aster has beautiful late summer blooms. Uh, it tolerates a huge wide range of soils. Again, it also, um, tolerates a wide range of moisture. It does really well in shade, and it can also live in sun. So that's really cool because there's few plants that do well, both in uh, mostly full shade all the way to full sun. And so this is one that does pretty well across a, a wide range of light conditions. Now, I did say it tolerates a really wide range of soils. Um, the reality is it does have a preference, though. It does prefer moderately fertile soil. So if you have like just like hard pan soil, this this plant is probably not for you. But if you have kind of like okay soil, like most of us do in our yards, um, this guy will do all right. Basically, if you can grow a lawn in your soil, it's probably fertile enough to try and grow this guy, okay? And the cool thing, again, is that this is a herbaceous perennial plant uh, that does pretty well in shade, and that's really cool. And you get these really pretty blue flower clusters on it as well in the late summer. So there you go. So juniper, heart-leaved aster. Now for a grass, I really recommend prairie drop seed. Now admittedly for for um, prairie drop seed, it's a grass. And some people hate that. But think about next time you're driving down the road looking at different uh, landscapes, look how often grass is used. It's a beautiful texturizing agent for lots of different designs, both as a ground cover, as an accent, as as winter texture. For those of us that live in winter areas, um, it, grasses are so versatile, and they 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 just provide that beautiful vertical structure in the garden space. So, prairie drop seed is a beautiful plant, and um, it actually, when it's in bloom, even though the flowers aren't striking, the it has a beautiful scent to the bloom as well. So that's something really cool. Um, now, prairie drop seed is a shorter growing grass. It's not one of your super tall grasses, but it tolerates all sorts of conditions. And the one trade-off here is it does prefer full sun, and it prefers not to be in just totally waterlogged spaces. So if you're looking in a space that's just really, really wet, this probably isn't the right grass for you, but aside from being really wet and really shady, this grass is awesome. 
So something to check out. Okay, so I have to stop myself because we could talk for hours on all sorts of different plants. And I'm by no means an encyclopedia of plant knowledge, but uh, every day it seems I'm discovering new plants. And it's really awesome. I love talking about plants and learning about plants and all the different characteristics of each of them, all the benefits of, of different plants and their interactions and stuff. But I do have to limit myself. So I, I said only three plants today. That's all we're doing. And uh, if you guys do want to learn some more plants you could plant, I have a cool list I've put together. So you can check the show notes for a low maintenance plants list that you can get dropped right in your inbox. And, um, and it's a nice, a little, I have a couple more there too, but you know, not to be overwhelming, but, uh, I think I have about 10 plants on there that you can check out, uh, that are great low maintenance plants, uh, that work in most areas of the United States. Again, it's really hard to have a comprehensive list of stuff that works everywhere. Cause it's just something that's so difficult to attain. So with that said, I recommend if you want to hear, um, or learn about more plants, check out that low maintenance plants list uh, and all the resources I've listed or mentioned today are listed in the show notes so you can check out the show notes as well um, now if you guys want to learn more of course I've mentioned it before and I'll mention it again I offer consultation and and if you really just want to dive deep into your landscape and understanding what you can do to make the greatest impact in your landscape to increase beauty and save time spent on maintaining your landscape so you can do more to do the things you love in your life consider consulting with me and you can go over to easylivingyards.com consulting and you can read about all the options there available to consult with me and with that guys thanks for tuning in and make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today <laughs>